If you have uh, a Bible, uh, we're going to be in Matthew today, uh, continuing our series uh, in Matthew. Uh, we've made it all the way, I think we're like seven, eight weeks in, and um, we've made it to chapter five, although we have been in chapter five for like four weeks, so um, we just, we're just here, and it's just, it's fine, it's fine, it's going to be fine. Um, so... Yeah, you know what? Let's just read it. Let's just read. All right? So this is the first block of teaching that Matthew gives us. Matthew's this guy who traveled around with Jesus. He knew him, you know, hung out with him and stuff, and, and saw all the things that he said and he did, and he, and he wrote them down, and, and he wrote them down in a certain way because he's trying to tell us something that's really important. He wants us to know about this Jesus. And so he's given us five big blocks of his teaching, and this is the first teaching that he's given us. Up to this point, he's just described who Jesus is, right? Uh, his, his kind of weird conception, right? He's born of a virgin, that uh, God, uh, Holy Spirit uh, did this thing, and his baptism, the, the sky splits open, this angel visits his father and says that his name should be Savior, uh, that his name means uh, God with us, uh, that he's going to deliver his people from their sins. And so he's told us all of these things about this person, Jesus, in and we've arrived in verse five at the first teachings we finally hear from this great teacher. But based on what Matthew's told us up to this point, if we see him just as a teacher, we're gonna misunderstand everything that he says, right? We have to see him as God with us. Let me say it this way. Jesus is the key to the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> yeah. And so anyway, so he, he starts teaching uh, this. And so this is first, chapter five. I'm gonna start in verse one. Um, Jesus' first block of teaching that Matthew gives us. Uh, seeing the crowds, he went up and he, on the mountain and he, and he sat down and his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them. And this is what he said. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted, for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Uh, so this is called the Beatitudes. It's um, Jesus' first uh, introduction to his, his teaching uh, that Matthew tells us about anyway. And um, the Beatitudes is just a Latin word that means blessed because he uses this, this pattern, right, this, uh, of using this word blessed over and over again and telling us why this group of people is blessed. Uh, and of course, we enter into this, um, this just, there's just, we say this, I say this every week, they're weird, they're weird, they're weird, right? It's just weird. Um, because uh, you don't look at people who mourn and think, they're killing it, right? Like, that's just not how we, we just not what we do. And so they're weird, and I think Jesus is teaching, them, teaching us this way. I just, like, why don't you just lay it out for me, right? I'm a didactic person. Give me a manual and I'll work through it. But he teaches it this way and I think that the reason that he's doing this uh, is so that we realize that there's more going on, there's more that we need to deal with and that we, we revisit these and wrestle with them over time. Right? Like, what does he? Like, what does this guy mean? Like, I need to listen to him because he does all these healings and he does all this stuff. What does he mean by blessed are these? Like, these people are flourishing. These people are in envious position. Uh, we should, uh, when you're this way, like, what, what is he talking about? And I think he teaches us in this weird way or with these weird things, 
so that we understand that we need to revisit them often. There's this guy uh, named Servis Pincus. I said that with great confidence, like I know that's how you pronounce his name. I do not. Uh, but I think it's something like that. Uh, and, uh, but anyway, I found this amazing, amazing quote uh, that, he, that he wrote uh, about this. He's a Catholic priest. He said this, we can compare the work of the Beatitudes to that of a plow in the field. Drawn along with its determination, it drives the sharp edge of the plowshare into the earth and carves out, as the poet says, a deep wound, a broad furrow. In the same way, the word of the Beatitudes penetrates, penetrates us with the power of the Holy Spirit in order to break up our interior soil. It cuts through us with the sharp edge of trials and with the struggle it provokes. It overturns our ideas and our projects. It reverses the obvious. It thwarts our desires and bewilders us, leaving us poor and naked before God. All this in order to prepare a place within us for the seed of new life. So that's real good. The Beatitudes are supposed to interrupt us. They're supposed to break us up. They're supposed to wake us up so that we can be ready to receive this new life. Um, And this new life Jesus is talking about, uh, he talks about the kingdom all the time, right? As a matter of fact, Matthew kind of gives us this heading over all of Jesus' teaching. He says, Jesus goes out and he begins to proclaim, uh, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so the the kingdom of heaven is this new life, this new life that Jesus is talking about. It's, It's in this kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is describing in the Beatitudes is how to be in the, how to get into the kingdom what life in the kingdom is like, and it involves this whole new kind of life. Jesus says elsewhere that uh, you have to be born again to enter the kingdom. This guy comes to ask him a bunch of questions. He's a teacher. He comes to ask Jesus questions, and he's like, hey, man, like, I, what do I need to do? And Jesus is just like, you got to be born again. And the guy's like, what? He's like, yeah, you want to enter the kingdom of God, you got to be born again. And the dude's like, that doesn't make any sense. And, and he's like, he begins to explain to him, like, how do you not understand that you need a whole new source of life? We enter this world spiritually dead. What that means is that at the very core, the very center of our, center of our being, there's something missing that feels like a loss, that, that is constantly stretching and striving, that cannot satisfy itself, and we are just spiritually dead. And Jesus says, if you want this life in this kingdom, it's, it's a new life. It's a new kind of life, a new source of life. You have to be spiritually alive. And the thing about it is, I believe this firmly, the kingdom life that Jesus is talking about Right, all this language that he uses about being born again, what he's describing in language that I think sometimes I miss just because I grew up in church, right? And the Christianese kind of just like you just hear, like, yeah, 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 redemption, and then you don't stop and think about what that means. You know what I mean? But I think I just heard this language so much, I maybe I missed it. The the thing that Jesus is describing in the kingdom life, in this new life, it's the thing that I was looking for. Like in all these other places, I'm looking for this life, for meaning and for purpose to be fulfilled and to be whole. When Jesus is describing the kingdom, he's like, oh no, the thing that you're looking for? Yeah, that's the kingdom of God. That's the new life that I'm describing. It it flows from another source and you're looking for it in all these sources and and it flows only from the kingdom. It It flows only from God. It's just this picture of the Garden of Eden, right? We dwelled in the Adam and Eve, the story at the very beginning of Genesis. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. Adam and Eve are in the garden, and there's this one tree that is the source of life that represents God's presence. And when they are cast out of the garden, it is that spiritual death away from the source of life that God brings because the relationship is damaged and broken. And so he's just describing this. He says, oh, that life that you're looking for, that thing that's missing, that thing that you're constantly trying to fill up, yeah, that's the kingdom. 
that's the kingdom and it's the new life that you have in the kingdom. And the reason that you feel like it's constantly missing and everything's just out of reach all the time is because you were literally made for this. That's what you were made for. You were created for this life. You were designed for it. That's the missing puzzle piece. It's the missing source. It's the life that you were looking for. It's literally created for it. Um, but because of sin and the broken world we live in, it's not an easy life. It's not necessarily an easy life that Jesus is describing. Um, but it's a strong life. Um, there's this, this dude, uh, John Calvin, he's kind of important in history. Uh, but this Calvin said this. He said, uh, he made that observation that most people believe wrongly that the happy person is the one whose life is free from annoyance, attains all he or she wishes, and leads an easy life. Like that's, I think, our idea, most people's idea it's comforting that he said this like 500 years ago because like I feel like it's still our idea today. Like if I just, it's like I said to my family one time, I was like literally going out of town and I was like looking for something and I was just, I was like, hey, look, when you guys are gone, I'm going to miss you, but I don't know where everything is. Like, and what I'm saying is like, it's like, like you guys are moving things and like, why is there, anyway, so like I just, you get, I get annoyed and you feel like I would just be happy and fulfilled if all these little life annoyances would go away, if there was just enough economic security that I didn't have to worry about what happens in my car doesn't start today. You know what I mean? Like, it's, the thing is just out of reach, you know? And then we come to Christ and I think sometimes we expect life to get easier. And if you're thinking about coming to Jesus and giving, just surrendering and giving your life to Jesus, let me tell you, it's the best thing that you could ever do. Sometimes life gets harder though. Now, you have a great comfort with you and a great strength that you never imagined and a great community and a great people that helps you manage it, but sometimes just the devil doesn't like that and things get harder. It's not about making life easier. It's about the strength to navigate no matter what happens. This life flows into you and doesn't make a smooth path for you, but there's a savior who is with you through it and you just plow through the waves that come at you. They're still there. They still sting. They still hurt, but you always survive because you're connected to this new life source. We constantly think, uh, this is Calvin again, that calamities and reproaches, that's not my language, I don't talk like that, calamities and reproaches are not at variance with the happy life. And we think that they are. And Calvin says no, like they're not. They, they go along with it. You can actually be happy, flourishing, be blessed, even in miseries, because in the middle of our miseries, our patience is blessed by God. And we know that it'll soon be followed by a happy result. The disciple of Christ has to learn, still Calvin, the philosophy of placing their happiness beyond the world and above the afflictions of the, fl- of the flesh. This new life that God's word by the work of the Holy Spirit plows up and plants seeds in our heart, this new life, it is not destroyed when tragedy strikes and emotions change and life becomes overwhelming. It is a resilient life. Things happen, bad things happen, tough things come, but you have this strength because your true life exists somewhere else. So this is what Jesus is talking about. So I want access. This is the thing that I want. This is the thing that I'm trying to get. If, if life is just gonna be this way, if it's gonna be full of hard things, if I'm gonna have to deal with emotions and all these things and it's just not this smooth sailing, then what I want is this resilient life that teaches me how to navigate no matter what comes, to be centered, to be a non-anxious presence in this world. And if I, this is the life that I want and I, I'm constantly out there seeking it, 
here's the problem that Jesus confronts us with. We constantly go with like, well, I'll just move, I'll, I'll move all these things, all these distractions, all these difficulties, and then one day it'll be peaceful and everything will be fine. And Jesus says no. Like he confronts us with this beatitudes and his teaching and his whole life. And he says, no, it's, it's, it's incredibly counterintuitive. Right? It's amazing news that I can have this way of life, but it is such a counterintuitive way to get there that we actually just really need a guide. We need somebody to show us because we're digging in the wrong place, right? Like we're just headed in the wrong direction. Jesus is like, that's not the way. Like, no, no, I've been this way before. And how did it turn out last time? Not great, but we're going to try it again. And he's like, no, 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 it's the other way. Like we just, we just are so, we have this idea, we're so programmed to think that we can do this ourselves and all of the Beatitudes are pushing us in one direction. That the kingdom, the life that we're looking for, it's not achieved, it's received. Like we keep thinking if we do this next thing or do this other thing, then we'll be able to have it. So, so far in the Beatitudes, God is, uh, Matthew has, or Jesus has been teaching and he's, uh, Matthew's uh, writing this down for us and he's showing us what God's like. And it's this beautiful, beautiful picture uh, that he is near. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who are spiritually bankrupt, God is near. This person, and I think this is one person. I don't think it's like a cl- uh, different groups necessarily. But the bankrupt, uh, God's near them. Those who mourn, why? They're, they're blessed because they'll be comforted. God draws near them and he comforts them. What a, what a this is what God's like. And, he, and he's near the meek. Uh, he's uh, opposed to the proud. And then we get to verse six. This is what we're gonna spend um, the rest of today. Uh, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be satisfied. We've heard what God is like. We've heard uh, what life is in the kingdom like and that these truths need to be revisited. These aren't just one and done things. I think this is not just how you get into the kingdom, right? I think this is what kingdom life is like while we're still here on earth. Until all things are new, this is what kingdom life is like. It is full of mourning our sin and brokenness. It is full of, it is full of constantly fighting pride and being humble to ask for help which goes against everything in me. He's like, I'll do it myself. I'm a, I'm a, I'll do it myself. Just do, I'll pick it up and carry it. I'll, I'll carry yours too. That's just how I am. And this says you have to be meek, you have to be humble, you have to come to God and ask for help. So two things before we continue that we have to keep in mind, right? Two main things that I love so, so much. One is, I love that Jesus' teachings, right? this is a religious teacher, right? His, his teachings do not start with a bunch of commands. They, he begins with blessings, isn't that amazing? Just announcement of blessing. Not like, hey, if you do this, this, and this, then you're blessed. Nope. Hey, let me tell you about the blessings that God, this is just how God operates all the way through the Bible, by the way. The blessings precede the command. We don't work that way, right? right? I don't, if, you're, like, if you're a parent, you know you don't work that. If you do this, then you can have this. Like, there will be no dessert unless you eat all of your peas, right? We're not like, hey, here's the peas, and here's, the, we're not like, here's the blessing of the, of the dessert, like, because they can't be trusted, right? Let's just eat all the candy and not eat peas, because children are liars, which how they are. So, buddy, buddy, so you, Bible all the way through, though, God's promises, his promises come first. And then he's like, hey, come to me, hear the promises, hear my great love. I'll tell you how to live. But come hear the promises first. So I love that so, so very much. The second thing is, uh, have you heard, uh, I know you have, I know you have. There's a saying uh, people say all the time, I've heard it my whole life, and you have too. Uh, God helps those who help themselves. I love it. Uh, and if you mean by that that uh, don't be lazy, I'm on board. Laziness is not good. Right? It's not good for you. Uh, God doesn't like that. Uh, if that's what you mean, great. Um, but uh, the deeper truth is God helps people who need help because they need help. That's just the truth of the Beatitudes. 
He didn't say, hey, those who are mourning, pull it together and I'll show up. No. You were poor in spirit, broken and meek? I'm here. I'm here. He helps those who need help because they need help, not because they've met some kind of spiritual condition. That is amazing. This is one of the things. All of the Beatitudes are driving us towards being dependent on God. All right, so here's the deal. Uh, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Hunger and thirsting for something, uh, it means longing for something. Um, it means a deep ache for it. Right? There's this great psalm, uh, Psalm 42 starts out, and it says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for you, for God, for the living God. Like this, this deep passion, this deep longing. But when you are hungry and thirsty, like really hungry and thirsty, not like when I say I'm hungry and thirsty, like which is sometimes like while I'm eating, but like if you're really hungry and thirsty, you know, uh, it affects everything, Right? You know what I mean? Like it affects how you think, how you feel, right? There's one member of our family, uh, I don't need to, I want you to know, want you to know this, uh, but uh, if they don't eat on schedule, it's not pleasant, right? Like, they're just like, you know, it, it, just not their normal self if they don't eat on time. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like, they, uh, all of a sudden you're like, what, what was that about? It's like, and she's like, oh, oh, oh. Uh, she's like, I'm hungry. And I'm like, all right, well, that's an easy, that's an easy fix, you know? And, and like, but it affects everything. Like, when you're hungry, like, people are like, have you ever had somebody come up and talk to you and you're like, look, I'm so hungry, I cannot hear what you're saying right now, right? Like, it affects how we think, it affects how we feel, it, it, and that's what this is talking about. It's, it's this longing and this ache that recognizes a great need. And it says, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, um, will be filled. Uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied, so they'll, they'll be filled up. If we have a passionate a desire to be right uh, with God, and when we stay that way, we stay with that passion, he's going to meet that desire uh, to be full, and it's um, part of, of what it means to be blessed and to be, to be happy. Um, so... When Matthew talks about righteousness, and righteousness is a huge word, right? So this, is, this all hinges on this word, right? Uh, blessed, are the, uh, blessed are those uh, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. When Matthew talks about righteousness, he isn't just talking about being good. Um, and, and he talks about, right, Matthew, I think uh, Paul uses the word a little bit different. They're not disconnected, but they, there's so many nuances of this word, it's a, it's a, it's a big deal. He, Matthew's not talking about just being good or just following uh, the set of laws. He's talking about living life in right relationship with God. I think it's easy to think these days that we don't worry too much about, about righteousness. Uh, that we live in a society that maybe doesn't worry about it. I mean, people used to think about what it meant to be a good person, right? To be a good citizen, to be a good spouse, to, be a, to just be a good person. Like, what does it mean to be a good person? Uh, Benjamin Franklin, he wasn't a believer, but I love this. Uh, he has this scorecard that he would keep. Uh, they have uh, uh, pictures of it in the, the, my book in seventh grade, whatever it was, I don't know. But I remember, it, I remember it so well. It was this picture that he would kind of score himself and how he did on the virtues that day. You know, just like people thought about what it meant. And so I think that we think maybe people don't, don't think about righteousness anymore because these days, I mean, like it's pretty, I mean, the things that you hear, right? The things that I hear and, and things that I think sometimes because of the things that I hear, it, a lot of it's like, um, never apologize for who you are. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not apologizing for who I am, you know, or like, yeah, this is who I am and you have to love me the way I am and, and, uh, uh stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I'm not going to change and, uh, um, 
I wonder if that's connected to the loneliness epidemic. People are like, I'm not going to change. I'm like, well, you should, you should reconsider because this is unpleasant. You know what I mean? Like, um, but people, I think we have the attitude of like, we're not going to do it. Like, we're not going to worry about being righteousness. This is how we are. And, and so I think we think that maybe people aren't thinking about righteousness. But I think that righteousness is like a core thing, right? It's a core part of being human. Here's what I mean. Um, It drives all of us because being righteous, um, part of being happy, part of being fulfilled, being filled up, right? Being, feeling whole and complete is knowing that you belong. Part of being satisfied is hearing that you were accepted and that you were loved. There is no one that's not seeking that out on a daily basis. We're looking for it, right? I think one of the dangers of, of social media, oh no, the pastor's talking about social media again. Pull it together, it's fine. Uh, yeah, social media is that it's this, we can curate ourselves and we pretend those are real relationships and they're not, right? And I think one of the reasons we do that is then people don't really know us and we don't have to actually change. See what I'm saying? Like, we, we can have these curated relationships, but when I'm one-on-one with, in relationship with someone, like, I just, and, and if I decide that I'm not going to strive anymore to be a part, to be accepted in a group, then I have to either withdraw or take the hurt and pain that comes with it. And I think that we just find it easier sometimes to just push everybody away at a distance and then wonder why we're so lonely. Because we desire to be a part of a group. You, you were wired. The God that made you is in himself a trinity, right? Like the center of the universe is relationship. It's something that we were built for. And so we are designed and driven by being told, uh, by, by a longing to hear that we're accepted. That's why it's so tragic when we hear about kids, that parents that hurt their children. Why? Man, like it's core to, your, to how you grow up, how you understand to be accepted. I mean, we're just constantly pursuing acceptance in one way or the other. I mean, when you get a job, right? Like you fill out a resume, right? And you're writing down all of the reasons why. Why you, why you should be accepted for this job or for this social group or for whatever it is. We have this resume that says this is who I am, right? And, and, and just tell me that I'm accepted and I'm good enough, right? Go on a date with somebody. Just tell me. It feels good when someone, t- I one time went to break up with a girl and she broke up with me first and it hurt. I didn't like it. I was gonna break up with her anyway. But I didn't like it. Why? It still hurts to be like, ah, I don't accept you anymore. I'm like, well, I was going to not accept you first. But it still hurts. Does it feel good? It, it hurts to be saying, like, you're not good enough. And it feels good. We pursue constantly being told, whether it's in activities or in career or in relationship, we're constantly pursuing because it is core to us being told that we are good enough. Doesn't it feel good? What happens when somebody accepts you? Depends on who it is, right? Yeah, it matters a little bit, right? I mean, it, you know, if I'm playing guitar or whatever, it means, it means one thing, you know, if I'm playing guitar and when he walks in, it's like, that's really good. I'm like, thanks. Appreciate that. It feels good that you're my wife and you said a nice thing to me. Words of affirmation. Love language. I mean, something different if somebody who plays guitar tells me that, though, right? Like, somebody that's really good at guitar, like, this is like a whole nother level of acceptance, right? Like, and so we're just constantly looking for that. Like, it feels like we want to be accepted at this level. Why are we like that? Because you were designed that way. 
You were made to be accepted at the highest level possible. The very God who spoke the universe into existence, who bent down into the mud of the dirt and formed, formed out of clay humanity and breathed his life into it. That is the relationship that you were built for. That is the relationship that you long for. The life that you were looking for is to hear your father who created you say, I love you. And we are looking in all these other places and all these other things to be accepted. And all, we're looking to meet that feeling, that emotional need, that spiritual need to be told that we are accepted. I think that's driving. I know that is driving so, so many of us to feel accepted, to feel loved. Here is the problem. My resume spiritually is trash. It's not a good resume. I'm not on top of my class. And even on top of my class, not good enough. There's this amazing verse. Paul, this guy named Paul, he's writing about this. He met Jesus in this weird way. But anyway, he's writing these letters to these people and he says this amazing thing that at first seems like terrible news. But in Romans 3, he says this. He says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What Paul is saying is even the top of your class, your resume is garbage. So I'm made for this thing that I want deeply, that I need deeply. I'm pursuing it constantly in all these wrong places, but to get it from the right place, I need a spirituality. I need a righteousness that is not, that I don't have. What do I do? So here are the choices that I think we usually, you know, here are your choices, basically. Uh, One, you can give up. Just not be filled up, right? You're just like the rest of your life just empty inside, right? Like you can do that. That's terrible. Uh, the other choice is uh, maybe uh, keep looking. Maybe this time the next thing will do it. I mean, sure, 48 years of looking for the wrong things has not done it, but maybe next time, you know? Or uh, you can try harder. Just try harder, right? You're not tired yet, are you? Just try harder. Be a better mom. Be a better spouse. Be a better citizen. Like, do more things, man. Come on. How come your kids' sandwiches don't look like caterpillars every day? Do better. Just try harder. Um, memorize more. Or, you know what? Be a better Christian. Memorize more verses. Give away more money. Sacrifice more. Try harder. By the way, those are good things. Jesus actually had the harshest things to say, by the way, about people who tried that way. We tried by religious just to do act. They say, he's like, man, you're doing it for the reasons. Proud, pride and stuff, right? Flannery O'Connor, she's a writer. Do you know who she is? By the way, it's the second Catholic I've mentioned today. What's happening? Flannery O'Connor's amazing. If you've never read her work, brace yourselves. It's a lot. But she's amazing. She said this. She's writing, she's describing, uh, she had a, uh, her novel, Wise Blood. She describes uh, the character um, Hazel this way, uh, Hazel Motes. There's a deep black wordless conviction in him that the way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin. What a sentence. The way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin. I think that's pretty common in our context, by the way. I mean, because meeting Jesus and dealing with Jesus is pretty difficult, right? If I can just not sin, then I don't really need to worry about that then, right? The problem is that we have to... Meet Jesus and deal with it. A lot of our, I think, a lot of our religion is just avoiding dealing with Jesus. But 
God hates sin. Like he hates our sin. The fact that we're all sinless, he hates it. He despises our lack of obedience, our faithlessness, our cruelty, and our selfishness. The reason he hates sin so much is because of how much he loves us. So how do I be made, how can I be made right? There has to be a cost for sin. Everything has a cost. Everything has a cost. Every wound has a cost. If you come to my house and you kick over a guitar and it breaks, uh, one of us is paying for it, right? In some way or another, either you're going to buy, like, fix the guitar, or I'm just going to not have a guitar, or I'll replace the guitar, but there's always a cost. It's even worse relationally, right? Someone hurts you deeply, right? Someone says a thing, does a thing, right? There's always a cost paid. If you're going to forgive them, there's a cost that you're going to absorb, Right? Or they're going to have to try to make it up, right? And so that's what we do. We fall into how do we repay this debt? And the answer is I can't repay the debt. This is why I can't avoid Jesus. I can't avoid that debt. Listen to what this says. Here's what we do. He's made a great way. He's made a way for us because of his great love for us. The first thing we have to do is, let's look back at the, spiritual, at the, at the uh, Sermon on the Mount. First thing we have to do is we have to admit there's no spiritual life in us. Mourn the sin that we have, the harm that it has done in me and done in those around us, and humbly ask for help. And as soon as we have wept for our sins, you will begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness. To be accepted. And here's what we have to do. Give up. Surrender. Deal with Jesus. Accept that you cannot achieve it and receive it. Super interesting, this sentence. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I think my brain immediately processes that. It translates that wrongly. I read it and I immediately think, blessed are the righteous. It doesn't say that. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for it. You don't hunger and thirst for something you don't, that you have. You hunger and thirst for something that you know you don't have. It is this desire and this longing for this righteousness. We have to long for it because we do not have it. The whole story of the rest of Jesus' life is him giving his resume to you and me. Him giving this right relationship with God, his right relationship with God to us, him standing in the place, him paying that price. That is the story. We get his righteousness. That's the beautiful story, him paying the price for us. That's the, the rest of the story. He's going to go and he's going to die on the cross, the punishment that we should have had, live the life that we should have lived, that we couldn't, die the death that we deserve, and he does in our place. And then, by faith in him, we are so united to him in some miraculous way that his life counts as ours. We just have to put down our resume and take his. Now, here's the thing. It's not a one-time thing, I don't think. I don't think these beatitudes and this, I, think, I don't think this is a one-time thing. This is a thing that we revisit repeatedly over and over and over again because this is not just how you get into the kingdom, right? This is how you live in the kingdom. This is what guides us. Because it, once you get right that your righteousness is somewhere else that your father has said in heaven has said, the, the God who created all things, who made you, has said to you, you are accepted. You don't just go, okay, box checked and go live your life. You have to tell yourself that over and over and over again. You have to preach that reality to yourself all the time. Because you're going to screw up and go like, ah, oh, how could he ever love me? And you have to preach the reality of, you didn't deserve it in the first place and he still does. 
Or someone is going to wound you and you're going to say, if he loved me, how could this happen to me? And he's going to say, you have my righteousness. I love you. I will make all sad things come untrue one day. And we have to live out of that. We have to preach that self to ourselves over and over and over and over again. If you have this, if you live out of this, that my righteousness does not come from other people, then, man, you know how many, you know how many adults are walking around with parent wounds still? You know what I mean? So many people, like if you just like stop and step back and like kind of got into a deep conversation with them, would be like, oh no, I'm basically doing all this so my dad who died 20 years ago will tell me I love it. Tell, tell me that he loves me. That's a real thing. You know why? Because we're programmed to long to hear those words, I love you and I accept you. And our father is saying, I love you and I accept you. Why? Because of what Jesus did. Because I love you. And that's what we live out of. Every day we live out of this thing. Some years ago, I was hurt by a group of people. Hurt my feelings. Didn't like it. Made me feel bad inside. Did not like it. My immediate response, because I'm not a good person, was, I'll just go punch him in the throat. That's how I felt about it. I was 100% confident I could take him. I'm a bad person. I'm not saying you should react that way. I'm telling you I'm a bad person. Hurt my feelings. Hurt my feelings. And then over time, I was like, you know what? I can't punch him in the throat. I'm a pastor. And that's going to end up on the news. And so, uh, you know what I'll do instead? Uh, I'll just go prove them wrong. I'll just go show them that I was right. And they were wrong, and they're stupid, and I'll embarrass them. That's what I'll do. Because I'm a terrible person. And then I was like, you know what I'll do? I'll just forget about it. I'll just move on with my life. And then I couldn't. And then I was like, you know what? I'll just pray for them, and I'll forgive them. That's what I'm supposed to do. Fun. Ugh. And I tried that for a while. And here's the thing. It didn't work either. And here's why. I had given them the authority to declare me righteous. Oh, I had to deal with Jesus. Like I had to go and like talk to him and go, I don't understand. And he had to go like, it's not like just that you want, it's not the bad thing, it's not that you want to punch people in the throat, although don't. The bad thing's not that you just like struggling to forgive, like all, you should. The bad thing is that in your heart, you have refused to let me declare you righteous and instead you need these people to tell you you were right. And I'm telling you that I love you and I'm telling you that you're right and the sin that you're actually committing, Chris, the sin that you're actually committing is what you go and deal with Jesus. The sin you're committing is you are not letting me declare you righteous and you need them to. What's going on? I died on the cross for you. They were mean. And I'm like, yeah, but I just need them to know that I didn't do anything wrong or tell me that I did something wrong and I can repent. And he's like, listen, no, do not give them the authority to declare you righteous. I have done that. And I had to deal with Jesus. And I just wanted to not punch people in the throat, and I wanted to not uh, get mad and angry and be bitter, and I just wanted to forget about it and move on my life. I didn't want to leave, I just didn't want to deal with Jesus. <laughs> because it's just hard to go with him and open your life and say, what did you mean by, what did you mean by this thing about righteousness? And for him to just like pick apart your life and go like, you just, you just live for other people's affection? And just to break you down. And it's just awful and it doesn't feel good until you're to the very bottom. And you realize that this Savior loves you so much. And that he's protecting you and guarding you. And wouldn't it just be easier if these people, no, 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 no. Stay with me. I love you. 
and to break me from this habits and break me from these. I was finally able to like love and forgive and do all the things that I needed to do because I first dealt with Jesus. I make that sound very like righteous and pious like it happened in a week. That was like four years, people. Just ugliness. But it's what he's like. He pursues us. He's made a way and he loves us. Life can be full even when it seems impossible when you have this kind of strength, this kind of grounding and this kind of acceptance and this kind of love. You were made for him and you will only be satisfied the only satisfaction for the deep soul hunger that drives us every single day um, to work endlessly, to seek constantly, or to give up in despair is him. It's the only, it's the only thing. Um, in uh, John, this other guy that knew Jesus and was, wrote down some stuff that he said, uh, wrote down Jesus saying, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. We deal with Jesus. So we're going to come to the table now. The bread broken, the life, the body broken, and the blood spilled that we could have life. And this little drama that will play out is he is the thing that we are looking for, the righteousness that we need that we do not have. When we come to the table, we are coming to play this little thing out, this drama out, this this meeting of God's gift and his graciousness to us at at, at the table uh, because... And it's remi- one of the things that it is, it's many things, but one of the things it is is this reminder that this is the real thing that sustains us in the spiritual life. This is the real thing that we need. The body broken and the blood spilled. The righteousness that he gives us. This is what we do. So here's how we'll do it. Um, when they come back up and they sing while I pray, um, they'll bring out the communion and they'll put it here. And uh, if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, this table is for you. You don't have to be a member here. Um, but... If you're not in a relationship with Jesus yet, my encouragement is wait, hold off, it's fine. Um, Let's talk about that first. It's a family meal. It's a meal for sinners, for sure. (laughs) Uh, But it is a family meal. So, um, and if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you're part of this family. So uh, we'll sing this song. Uh, You'll come by row and grab these elements and um, it'll be here in a second. And um, come by row, grab them, return to your seat and then celebrate Worship, sing, confess, repent. Let the Holy Spirit tear you apart, cut you and heal you and put you back together. Um, Whatever you need to do, that's what we'll do during that time of the song. And then at the end of the song, I'll come back up and lead us in the taking of communion together. Yeah? Father, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your teaching. Thank you for how wisely you have made it weird, right? That I have to revisit constantly what it is that you were calling us to, that you were putting us together, how you were tearing me down and putting me back together. You, I was made for you. And all the places that I seek you, all the acceptance that I'm looking for, all the people that I'm want to declare me righteous, it's just a dead end. And even if I get it, it's not gonna satisfy very long. It's momentary satisfaction, momentary filling. But if I pursue righteousness, if I know my emptiness, if I know, if I hunger and thirst for that relationship with you, that being declared right with you, that's forever. That's eternal. So as we as a church just revisit that over and over and over again, wreck us. (laughs) make us see the beauty of the love and the gift that is Jesus and the life that we have only in him. It's in his name we pray, amen.